carnal man never gets it right. It can't be done. They are upside down, but see themselves as right side up. They are blind, but say they can see. They are deaf, yet claim they can hear. They will not, they cannot succeed. As Isaiah the prophet wrote concerning backslidden Israel in Isaiah 59.10, we grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as in the night. We are in desolate places as dead men. The unredeemed cannot attain to holy understanding because they are dead, spiritually dead, even as all God's children were prior to salvation. Ephesians 2 verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. The only way to attain to the revelation of marvelous excellence, the only way to get from upside down to right side up, the only way to get from blindness to sight, from deafness to hearing, is to be born again, born a very literal second time, this time of the Spirit of God, just like Jesus said in John 3, 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The unsaved are at a major disadvantage when in serious conversation with the born again. We can see them, but they can't see us. We fully understand their vacuous thoughts because we once thought the same. But the carnal world can never attain to the new, eternal thoughts of the redeemed unless. Dear visitor, are you yet to be born again? You are in a very bad and dangerous position. But today, everything will change for you if you follow me in a simple prompt. Today, all your sin and shame will be washed away by Christ's cleansing blood. Today, all of Satan's bondages in your life will be shattered, regardless of how formidable they may appear. Today, for the very first time, you will stand right side up with eyes to see and ears to hear. Today, you will be born a second time, born again. Today, your eternal soul is most literally in your own hand. Here is the simple prop I promised. Follow me now. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said, Luke sixteen twenty three and 24, And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus, that he may tip, uh, dip excuse me, the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. God said, John eleven twenty five and 26. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? God said, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Man said, I have all the answers that I need right in my pocket. I just Google it up. The world's great universities tell me that I evolved from a primordial slime that was a result of an explosion out of nothing. I'm an animal. I have no eternal purpose but to satisfy my own desires. When I die, 
I go nowhere. No Bible, no judgment, no heaven, no hell. That's it. Satisfying to the thinking mind, don't you think? Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said, feature 1,103, that will once again contend for the faith of Jesus Christ. Each of these powerful features are archived here in text and streaming audio for your edification and to be used as fishing bait by God's fishermen. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Thank you for visiting today. May the angels of the Lord encamp about you and all that you have put your hand unto. How far is it from here to eternity? How far is it from this moment we are sharing to the other side? When the time has come, when you have no road to travel, just how long does it take to pass into eternity? Jesus said to the thief on the cross in this exchange in Luke 23, 42 and 43, And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Second Corinthians 5, 6-8 through 8 reads, Therefore we are always confident knowing that, whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Is there life after death? Is there a glorious eternal life as described in God's word for those who believe upon Jesus the Christ and confess him with their mouths? Is there a cognizant eternal death in the lake of fire, not oblivion, but a cognizant eternal punishment for those who reject the cross of Christ and die in unbelief? The ultimate source of proof says there is. In the last hundred years or so, the great minds of carnaldom have rejected the Bible's record of life after death and the great white throne judgment in favor of the devil's theory of evolution, which offers up the idea that there was this big bang and out of nothing, here we are. However, when science, and not theory, investigates the subject of consciousness after an individual has been certified as dead, well, they come to an opposite position. Something is going on after the grave, and man, do I need to know how to navigate these waters. The map and the compass is the word of God who created it all. This feature will again revisit the subject of life after death. Excerpts from previous God Said, Man Said features follow before we arrive at Dr. Eben Alexander, longtime champion, who is again in the news via his March-April 2022 letter to the editor of Discover Magazine. God Said, Man Said, The Seven Greatest Mysteries for a Man to Know, Part 7, The Mystery of Life After Death. The Bible clearly and redundantly declares real, cognizant life or a real living death after death. The Bible clearly and redundantly declares consciousness apart from the physical brain and demonstrates a dialogue between the soul and the brain. The Bible clearly and redundantly declares an event to come where the children of God, deceased and alive, will be supernaturally caught up to meet Jesus Christ in the clouds, an event known as the great taking up of the church or the rapture. Life after death is clearly addressed in the Word of God. The very blessed hope itself is eternal life in Christ Jesus, and what a glorious, death-decimating promise it is. 
For the redeemed, the expectations are out of this world, literally. The skeptics, including the atheists, evolutionists, academics, and even some theologians, have scoffed, but not so much anymore. Their laughter is giving away to the deer-in-the-headlights look. Four to five percent of the world's citizens have had a near-death experience. They call them NDEs. Skeptics of the Bible's life-after-death position find themselves in real trouble. Jesus stumped the Jewish Sadducees who did not believe in life after death in Matthew chapter 22, verses 31 through 33. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. God is the God of the living. All his children live unto him, and not one of them is missing. When Abraham died, he was buried in the cave of Machpelah, which rests today in the Israeli city of Hebron. Inside that tomb, you'll find the remains of Abraham and Sarah, along with some of the patriarchs. Yet Jesus speaks of Abraham functioning in the service of God. Listen as he recounts this event evolving Abraham, which took place 2,000 years after his death. Luke 16, 20 through 31. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Note, this is not a parable, as some have suggested, for a parable does not use proper names. In this account, we find full consciousness after death, after the physical brain is legally dead and decaying in the grave. We find full self-awareness, sound reasoning abilities, and sensations of pain for the eternally doomed rich man. Take note again of verse 24. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. The rich man's tongue is in the rich man's tomb, 
but in hell he has a tongue. The following excerpts are from the God Said, Man Said feature, undeniable proof, every jot and every tittle, 20. Is there life after death? Does the mind function after an individual is declared brain dead? The Bible certainly thinks so. Luke sixteen twenty through two through twenty four speaks of three men who had died. Their entire bodies, brains, eyes, tongues, and all were decaying in the grave. Yet they fully existed in the spirit realm with bodies, minds, and memories, eyes, tongues, and more. Does neurological science now know? that the mind exists outside the brain? Dick Teresi has been the editor of uh, Science Digest, Longevity, VQ, and Omni, and has written for the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Atlantic, as well as other publications. You'll find the following excerpts in his book, The Undead. Van Lommel's study on near-death experiences was published in the British medical journal Lancet, a periodical not known for its paranormal bias. But based on his research, Van Lommel has come to the conclusion that the brain neither produces consciousness nor stores memories. Think of a television set. When it is broken or damaged, programs may no longer come through it, but the source is not inside the set. In the same way, consciousness may not be a product of the brain. Teresi goes on to discuss the arguments of the skeptics. None of these reductionist explanations is compelling, though some are plausible, Grayson told me. I don't have much use for people who just spew theories. Van Lommel notes, up until now, death simply meant the end of consciousness, of identity, of life. In the past, these experiences were attributed to physiological, psychological, uh, pharmacological, or religious reasons. So to a shortage of oxygen, the release of endor endorphins, receptor blockages, fear of death, hallucinations, religious expectations, or a combination of all these factors. But our research indicates that none of these factors determine whether or not someone has a near-death experience. Teresi quotes Dr. Sam Parnia, a fellow in pulmonary and uh, critical care medicine at Wheel Cornell Medical Center. Subsequently, he adds, there is a period of time lasting from a few seconds to an hour or more when emergency medical efforts may succeed in restarting the heart and reversing the dying process. The question is, can human consciousness continue when we've reached the point of death and all studies have shown that the brain stops functioning? We can't explain how people have consciousness when the brain is flatlined, end of quote. Does the mind-soul continue after the person is declared brain dead? We have pulled a very short sampling of John Burke's 348-page book, Imagine Heaven for Your Consideration. With the advent of modern medicine and superior resuscitation techniques, the prevalence of people being brought back from clinical death has soared. In 1982, a Gallup poll reported that 8 million people have had near-death experiences, according to the New York Times. In the last 40 years since Moody coined the term, studies in the United States and Germany suggest approximately 4.2% of the population has reported a near-death experience. That's one out of every 25 people, or nearly 13 million Americans. 
The number globally would be in excess of 300 million. Numerous reported cases in which someone is apparently unconscious in a hospital bed and reported seeing things they could not have seen from that bed prompted many doctors and professors to take these stories seriously. Kimberly Clark Sharp, a noted NDE researcher in Seattle, Washington, reported a case study in which a woman named Maria was rushed to the hospital with a severe heart attack. After a successful resuscitation, Maria told Sharp about her near-death experience, including detailed out-of-body observations of her resuscitation. Then she went one step further. She claimed to travel outside the hospital, she said, where she observed a tennis shoe on the third-story window ledge of the hospital. Maria provided detailed information about the shoe. It was a man's shoe, she said, left-footed and dark blue with a wear mark over the little toe and a shoelace tucked under the heel. Sharp went window to window on the hospital's third floor looking on the ledges. Finally, she found the shoe exactly as Maria had described it. Dr. Lom points out, This account stands as remarkably uh, evidential in spite of the efforts of some skeptics to cast doubts. The Lancet, one of the most prestigious medical journals, published another account of a patient having a cardiac arrest and not breathing. Dr. Long recounts a portion of it here. At the time there, a tube was being placed uh, in an airway to ventilate the patient. It was noted that he had upper dentures. The dentures were removed and placed in a crash cart drawer while the patient was deeply comatose. Over a year later, the patient reported having an out-of-body experience and accurately described the room he was resuscitated in and the people present. Remarkably, he declared that his lost dentures could be found in the crash cart drawer. Note that the patient reported seeing the nurse and those present during his resuscitation, which doesn't occur unless someone is lucid and in an out-of-body state. J.M. Holden, a professor of psychology, studied 93 NDE patients who claimed to have made verifiable observations while out of their physical bodies. Of these out-of-body perceptions, 92% were completely accurate, 6% contained some error, and only 1% was completely erroneous, end of quotes. The following paragraphs are from the God Said, Man Said feature, Out of Body and Near-Death Experiences and the Skeptics. Many individuals who have been pronounced dead and have come back to life recount events, images, and conversations they could not have known, even ones apart from the hospital environment itself. These individuals function at a high degree of consciousness when they are medically brain-dead. One particular out-of-body or NDE that has God's critics concerned is that of Dr. Eben Alexander. One of their own, one with extensive medical credentials, is off the reservation and is very vocal about it. Dr. Alexander, in 2012, published a book that became a number one New York Times bestseller titled Proof of Heaven, A Neurosurgeon's Journey into the Afterlife. When you review the doctor's credentials, you can understand the concern of God's detractors. Dr. Alexander writes, I'm a neurosurgeon. I graduated from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill in 1976 
with a major in chemistry and earned my M.D. at Duke University Medical School in 1980. During my 11 years of medical school and residency training at Duke, as well as Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard, I focused on neuroendocrinology, the study of the interactions between the nervous system and the endocrine system, the series of glands that release the hormones that direct most of your body's activities. I also spent two of those 11 years investigating how blood vessels in one area of the brain react pathologically when there is bleeding into it from an aneurysm, a syndrome known as cerebral vasospasm. After completing a fellowship and cerebrovascular uh, neurosurgery in Newcastle-up-on-Tyne in the United Kingdom, I spent 15 years on the faculty of Harvard Medical School as an associate professor of surgery with a specialization in neurosurgery. During those years, I operated on countless patients, many of them with severe life-threatening brain conditions. Most of my research work involved the development of advanced technical procedures like stereotactic radiosurgery, a technique that allows surgeons to precisely guide beams of radiation to specific targets deep in the brain without affecting adjacent areas. I also helped develop magnetic resonance imaging guided neurosurgical procedures instrumental in preparing hard-to-treat brain conditions like tumors and vascular disorders. During those years, I also authored or co-authored more than 150 chapters and papers for peer-reviewed medical journals and presented my findings at more than 200 medical conferences around the world, end of quote. Life After Death, The God of the Bible, Judgment Day, If There Is, We've Got Hell to Pay, cried the skeptics. The Darwinians needed a naturalistic explanation to dispatch these ideas. As with many, if not all, Dr. Alexander's near-death experience changed his life entirely from a skeptic to a very vocal believer, but it didn't start that way of himself, the doctor writes. Quite simply, I'd never held myself open to the idea that there might be anything genuine to the idea that something of us survives the death of a body. I was the quintessential, good-natured, albeit skeptical doctor. And as such, I can tell you that most skeptics aren't really skeptics at all. To be truly skeptical, one must actually examine something and take it seriously. And I, like many doctors, had never taken the time to explore NDEs. I had simply known they were impossible, end of quote. Michael Shermer, publisher of Skeptic Magazine and feature writer for Scientific American, comments on Dr. Alexander's experience in the April 2013 issue under the title Proof of Hallucination with the subhead, Did a Neurosurgeon Go to Heaven? According to Shermer, the following was posed to Dr. Alexander. I asked him how. If his brain was really non-functional, he could have any memory of these experiences given that memories are a product of the neural activity. He responded that he believes the mind can exist separately from the brain. How? Where? I inquired. End of quote. The tens of thousands of NDEs the world over testify of the other side that awaits all of us. The Word of God clearly teaches a knowledge that transcends and operates outside the neurological network of the body, and that knowledge that transcends we know as the soul. 
It is man's soul that Christ came to save, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. A soul can bless. A soul can experience desire, love, bitterness, hatred, vexation, and more. And when one dies, the soul leaves the body. Genesis thirty-five eighteen, referring to death, says, And it came to pass as her soul was in departing. The soul has knowledge that functions outside the body's brain. Many examples of this reality have been published in the Bible. The example noted above in Luke chapter 16 defines this well. In this chapter, the rich man dies, and his body and his brain are buried in the grave. Yet in hell, he has eyes to see and the knowledge to translate what his eyes see. The rich man has a tongue and experiences thirst and complains of being in torment in the flames of hell. He knows Abraham and addresses him by name. Abraham was dead to this world for approximately 2,000 years when Jesus Christ gives this account. Abraham's body and brain was buried in the cave of Machpelah, yet he knows of the rich man's situation and has a conversation with him. The soul has full knowledge outside the neurological network of the body, and when the body dies, the soul goes on to its eternal destiny. You and I choose whether that destiny is heaven or hell, end of quote. Now some scientists theorize that consciousness can exist outside the physical brain, a concept God's Word declares from the very beginning, knowledge only the Maker could know. Mr. Shermer, who challenged Dr. Alexander several years ago, appears to be reconsidering his skepticism. The following passage is from the God Said, Man Said feature, Unashamed, the beautiful book in 6,000 years. It was once, and still is to much extent, asserted in neuroscience that when an individual is brain dead, all of that individual's thoughts and all of his knowing ends. But that dam of unbelief is beginning to crack. Some of the thousand, excuse me, studies of the thousands of near-death experiences, including that of those pronounced clinically dead and then revived, are causing a change of scientific minds. Michael Shermer of the Camp of the Ungodly, had this to say in Scientific American, July 2017 issue, under the title, Who Are You? The idea of part of the consciousness leaving the body after death to travel to a new plane is not too far afield from a theory called quantum consciousness proffered by a wide range of people, from physicist Roger Penrose to physician Deepak Chopra. Some versions hold that our mind is not strictly a product of our brain and that consciousness exists separately from material substance, so the death of your physical body is not the end of your conscious existence, end of quote. Surely there is full consciousness after the grave, even one that can suffer eternal torment. Today's decisions dictate the outcome of your life, both in the present and eternally, end of quote. Proof that God is is everywhere, and those who refuse to stop and consider are what the Bible defines as willingly ignorant. God said, man said, heaven, looking for proof, let there be no doubt. The following paragraphs are from Marissa St. Clair's book, Near-Death Experiences, Seeing is Believing. Skeptics have suggested that the NDE might be more credible and less open to accusations of subjectivity 
if blind people describe their heavenly experiences during an NDE in visual terms. Perhaps the critics believe they were on safe ground, for they made this suggestion when research into the subject was in its infancy and no such evidence was forthcoming. However, more recent cases have provided precisely that kind of evidence. As Dr. Kubler-Ross, the Swiss a psychiatrist who famously theorized the five stages of grief and pioneered in the study of NDEs writes, in order to calm down the skeptics, we did a scientific project with blind people. Our condition was that we would involve only blind people who had not had any sight perception for at least the last 10 years. Those who had an out-of-body experience and came back can tell you in detail what colors and jewelry you were wearing if you were present. Furthermore, they can tell you the color and pattern of your sweater or of your tie, and so on. You understand that these statements refer to facts which one cannot invent. One woman who was blind from birth and who naturally perceived the world with her other four sentences, sen- sen- senses, excuse me, was hit by a car and collapsed profoundly unconscious. She later sent her story to this author. Although anonymous and therefore scientifically invalid, it carries the ring of truth, she says. It was a hot afternoon in August 1994. I was crossing the road, pat-pat-patting with my stick, when a car took the corner too quickly and knocked me down. I felt a massive blow to my arm and side. Then I heard a blaring sound, hard to describe, sorry, and I was up high in the air. It was very strange for several reasons. I was directly above my body, which was lying on the ground. Now, that's odd enough, surely. But what was a million times odder was the fact that I could see it all. Me, who had never had the slightest bit of vision in my 40-odd years on this earth. I swooped around just looking. It was grand to see. I noticed how high the buildings were because I thought of them as being rooted to the ground at the point where I could trace them with my stick. But they seemed to go up and up. I had my first understanding of a roof and of the expanse of the sky. I saw the back of people's heads when normally I only get to feel a hand or a face if I'm lucky. I saw cars, bikes, children, and could put images to the familiar sounds of everyday life. But most of all, I could see colors. I don't think any blind person has any concept of colors. How could they? It's what marks out the land of sighted from the land of the blind. I saw, rather than talked about, the red of my jumper and the green of the grass in the nearby park and the swirl of colors on the covers of magazines in the newsstands. Then I saw them struggling to lift my head up. I felt as if someone was yanking on my soul and I was back in my body and blind again. It was awful terrible. I cried for ages and couldn't explain. The one person I told said it must have been my imagination. How cruel and how unrealistic. But then I realized that I'd been very lucky and blessed because I'd seen what was in store for me when I died, that is, when I leave my body permanently. I realized then that being blind, like being in any kind of body, sighted or blind, was just a temporary thing and that one day we would all be perfect in every way. Since I had that thought, I've calmed down a lot and become happier. I feel almost as if I've been shown the face of God. How many people can say that? End of quote. Page after page, the world gives accounts of near-death experiences undergone by individuals 
who return to life after being pronounced dead, who give amazing descriptions of entering heaven and all of its unspeakable majesty, to flowers and grass and music and clothing that glistens, to ecstatic reunions with loved ones and to the all-engulfing love of the Father and the Son. It is simply marvelous and awe-inspiring. End of quote. God said, man said, the other side of life. The excerpts that follow were published by Discover Magazine, May 2016, under the title, A Brush with Death. The subhead of the feature is, How a Glimpse of the Other Side Changes Those Who Make It Back. In a 2013 PLOS One study, Lores, a neurologist and chair of the World Federation of Neurology Applied Research Group, and his league colleagues compared NDEs with other memories of intense real-life event, events such as marriages and births, as well as with memories of dreams and imaginary thoughts. To their surprise, NDE memories among a group of 21 coma survivors were much richer than any imagined or real event. Even when the NDE happened decades before, patients' memory of the experience was as visit Vivid, as if it occurred yesterday, Laurie said. It makes sense if you look at EEG measurements of activity in the brain when recalling an NDE. A 2014 EEG study published in Frontiers in Human Neuroscience found that NDE memories are stored as episodic memories. The researchers noted that those who had NDEs described the experience as realer than real. All of the patients in the study said their NDE was the most powerful, intense, and important experience of their lives, end of quote. The October 7, 2014 headline of a UK feature written by Adam Withnow reads, Life After Death, Largest Ever Study Provides Evidence That Out-of-Body and Near-Death Experiences May Be Real, end of quote. Discover Magazine published a rebuttal letter received from Dr. Eben Alexander III in their March-April 2022 edition. The letter falls in its, follows in its entirety. Can Science Explain Near-Death Experiences? Your recent article opened with an insightful interview of Dr. Bruce Grayson, who has spent more than four decades seeking a deeper scientific understanding of consciousness through the lens of near-death experiences. Dr. Grayson and two medical colleagues spent two years extensively reviewing the 600-page medical record of my 2008 illness. They concluded that my memories during a seven-day coma could not be construed as hallucination, dream, or delirium because of the extensive damage to my neocortex. Two professionals selected in the article, to comment on my case offered no comparable scientific opinion. Kevin Nelson's REM intrusion hypothesis explaining NDEs as a dream phenomenon has been broadly criticized. Given the extensive damage to my neocortex, my medically documented case is a direct refutation of Nelson's arguments. Philosopher John Martin Fisher was misguided by the same Esquire journalist attempt to discredit a sincere book that I had never expected would sell millions of copies. 
Fisher's book summarizing his $5 million John Templeton-funded project studying NDEs made erroneous conclusions based on misquoting the Dalai Lama about my case, all errors sourced from the Esquire article. True scientific study of NDEs offers tremendous potential for more deeply understanding the fundamental nature of reality. The rich man's brain, the rich man's eyes, and the rich man's tongue were in the rich man's tomb returning to dust. In hell, the rich man's soul lifts up his eyes, understands what he sees, has a rational conversation with Father Abraham, and asks for relief from the torment of hell. The rich man reasons with Abraham regarding his brothers who were still alive. The rich man had full conscious abilities without his physical brain. There is a choice to make. Life after death or cognizant death after death. We make the choice. The conscious feeling soul proceeds without the physical brain onto its eternal reward, just like the Bible said. The critics are once again forced to adjust their unbelief. Will they jump to the lectern and announce their errors to the world, acknowledging that God's word was true and righteous altogether? Uh, no, not likely, but we will. It's true, all true. God said Luke sixteen twenty three and 24, And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. God said, John eleven twenty five and 26. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? God said, John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Man said, I have all the answers I need right in my pocket. I just Google it up. The world's great universities tell me that I evolved from a primordial slime that was a result of an explosion out of nothing. I'm an animal and have no eternal purpose but to satisfy my own desires. When I die, I go nowhere. No Bible, no judgment, no heaven, no hell. That's it. Satisfying to the thinking mind, don't you think? Now you have the record.